0: island of Mallorca inspires many writers either as a subject for their work or somewhere they put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard. Georges Sand, Robert Graves, Geoffrey Archer, Peter Kerr and Anna Nicholas are some of the best-known authors linked to this largest of the Balearic Islands. A surprising number of authors have made Mallorca their home or their favourite writing place. And in each episode of this podcast series, you'll hear my conversation with one of them, giving you an insight into their writerly life. Welcome to Authors in Mallorca with me, Jan Edwards. Can't
1: bet anything jangling like, you know, jewellery or bracelets, anything restrictive. Giving injections to cats, you know, experimenting on oranges, getting up at five in the morning, cleaning out the cats, hissing cats, mad cats. And if I said one thing to a would-be author, it's get the cover i right, pay to have the right cover.
0: My guest for this episode is the most prolific British author writing about Mallorca today, who swapped life in public relations in London for a rural home on the island. Anna Nicholas writes for the Telegraph travel section and the FT's How to Spend It in the UK and in Mallorca has a weekly column in the Mallorca Daily Bulletin. After writing six traditionally published travel books all about Majorca, Anna set up her own publishing company for her debut cosy crime novel published last year. Haunted Magpie, the second novel in this series, is published on November the 19th. Anna and I chatted in the leafy courtyard of the Merchant's Steak and Grill restaurant in Mallorca's capital, Palma. I love this place. It's,
1: it's a little jewel, isn't it? Hidden away in this garden with all these huge towering palm trees. But uh, I discovered the Merchant's restaurant and just loved it so much. And then uh, Edgar Legassi who is one of the partners who owns it, took me through here and it was all candlelit and it just looked magical. Wow! Thought,
0: what a gorgeous place to come, Yes. It's a oasis. And a lovely place for interviews. Isn't I it just? <laughs> <laughs> we're all alone here, we're Four socially house. distanced. <laughs> and we're here to talk really about your career as, as a writer. You're an author in Mallorca. Mallorca is not just an inspiration for you because you, you love the island and you're a really good ambassador for Mallorca. You are about to publish your second Mm. cosy crime novel, Haunted Magpie. I love the title. That's good. (laughs) on the 19th of November, and we'll talk more about that later on. But I'd like to find out a little bit more about you as an author. When did you first decide that you were going to write books? Well, it was a strange thing.
1: I was uh, running a PR agency in London, as you know, and we decided to come and live in Mallorca about the year 2000 I suppose it was, and I was on a plane, well, an easyJet plane, coming back home to Majorca from London where I had meetings, and I thought wouldn't it be funny to write a book about living between two places, between London and Majorca, because there were so many runaway to the sun books on the market, as we know there are lots, um, but they tend to be about settling in a place and not going back to London, so I thought maybe I'd have a different spin on it. So I contacted a literary agent and a friend of mine who would written a book and they said, oh yes, do it, do it. So that's how it all began. So quite a long time ago, and I think it was also a change in my life because I was leaving London for a new life and I wanted to sort of record that. You know, how it felt uh, being in this frenetic existence in London in Mayfair with staff and then coming to a shambolic ruin in the <laughs> mountains
0: and having to try and do it up. But it's not mm. a shambolic ruin anymore. Not anymore, <laughs>
1: no. But there's still things always to be done in finca, as you know. Walls falling down, things going wrong. Um, we've had a lot of that this week with the rain that came the other day. Our gate not working. You know, all
0: those sort of things. Yes. But it's part of the rich tapestry of life it in is. New Yorker, isn't it? And it's good writing <laughs> fodder, actually. It's fantastic.
1: Fantastic. <laughs> oh, it sure is. How else would I keep writing these books?
0: You, you <coughs> mentioned there going to an agent, putting the idea to them. That I presume you had some very good contacts as a result of that from Well, a do friend. you know
1: it's a funny thing? I went to William Morris, which is a very big agency in London, and they loved it. It was the MD, she was an American and a friend of a friend. And so I was lucky I had an intro. You know how hard it is sometimes. So she took me on, but just as I'd got to that state where she was sending the book out she fell out with the original owners in America and left. Oh dear. And so I was left with no agent, and my book was with the agency. So she rang me from New York and said, why don't you come with me over here? I'm setting up a new agency. And I said, but no one will probably have heard of Mallorca in New York. And she said, no, you're probably right. I said, oh look, just, let's just forget it. So I was so fed up. I thought, what shall I do? Do I find another agent now, just at this, this really important point? And then I thought, no. I'm going to go to Somersdale because Somersdale was a, a, a travel specialist publishing house and I'd read some of their books and I thought I'm just going to write them a crazy email saying this is what I've done, my agent's gone off to New York, I don't know what to do and that's how it all began and luckily after about six months that going through various editorial channels they, they took me on and I have to say Somersdale is now Hachette, they became hash- part of Hachette publishing house. They really did help me in those early days with mm-hmm. editing and how to structure and also keeping time and finishing books on time. So I owe them quite a lot, even though
0: I'm doing my own thing uh, these days. Yes, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. I'm a little bit interested to know, and very, very interested to know about your, your writing life. Do you have a specific space in which you write?
1: Yes, I do. So I write in the basement, uh, which is actually quite nice and light-filled because it has French doors, and I have blank walls, I can't have pictures on the walls at all, I can't wear jewellery, I have to wear really scruffy, comfortable (laughs) clothes, I have bare feet, uh, even in the winter can't bet anything jangling like you know jewelry or bracelets anything restrictive and aside from that when I'm actually working on a book I work every day four or five days depending on my other work I've got on and I am pretty concentrated I only take out time to maybe stretch and have a coffee Try and get as many coffee breaks in as i can <laughs> and alan my lovely husband sends me back down to the basement but no i work pretty solidly and I, it's all about word count really so when i'm writing a new book i try and do an average of 2000 words a day that's it's quite f- impressive it's quite hard mm. there are those days where you don't <laughs> it's as simple as that you know i can have a bad day or maybe there's something happening and i really need to attend to it and i might end up with 500 but normally i'm pretty good now I do a structure for my books, so I, I wouldn't say I'm a structuralist as a person at all, but I do like to have a plan and know where I'm heading. So I do uh, an elongated synopsis before I start a book, and then I break it down into chapters. Now once I've got my chapters I can work out roughly what the word count I'm, I'm going to look at as a whole. And then from there, I work on each chapter every day. Unfortunately, things can go wrong, or things can change, or you find even with research, with a travel book, that you were wrong about something, or you need to go back and re-interview, or whatever happens. So the word count can change. But I like to have chapters that are long and chapters that are short or mixed i don 't like all long chapters or all short chapters, and I think the reader when, when you are reading a book it 's quite nice to have that variety yes and these days, because of people 's concentration span, uh, shorter chapters are really necessary i mean that 's not just me that 's a given now in the industry, so you 'll find that if you have a publisher they'll say, oh, keep them short because people are you know running around so busy, tired and they go to bed maybe just want one, one
0: little chapter before mm. they go to sleep they don't want to be stuck there for 50 pages interesting you uh-huh. say that because i've been reading something that's obviously <coughs> a little bit out of date saying you know your chapters should be a minimum of 2000 words <laughs> Uh, and I'm writing a novel, as you know, and I'm looking,
1: oh, no, well, my chapters are too short. No, they can be short. I don't think it, I don't think there's any convention now. I've done short and long in this book, actually, probably quite a few very short chapters. I think it's quite nice to have the variety. I think also, as a reader, you don't know what's coming next, you know, why do you have
0: to have a convention attached to it? I think you should be able to do what you like as a writer, really. Yes, I think you're right. You obviously have uh, a very supportive husband. Thank God. <laughs>
1: yes, I do. Alan is supportive. I mean, he's, you know, um, nearly 20 years older than me. He's retired, long retired. So he quite enjoys, I think, uh, the research angle, because when I pootle out in the car interviewing people or going and having a look at something or the history of something, he comes with me. So it's quite nice, you know, we're a bit of a duo. And he's great at looking through my manuscripts, you know, doing the first, not edit, because you do need a skilled editor for that. But he's very good at picking out things, spelling mistakes or things that may be a bit awry, or questioning a character or maybe a part of the plot. And I like to talk it through with him sometimes, you know, with a glass of wine in the evening, say, oh, what do you think? You know, Isabel's doing this. And they go, oh, I'm not sure about that. Or, <laughs> so it's quite nice, I like that. He's my first point of
0: call. Mm, I think we all need someone like that. Someone
1: who cares about you and wants you, know, yes. wants you to do well. I do think the only problem I'd say with familiarity is that sometimes people have a set idea of you or what you tend to write, uh, and that can be destructive. I quite like to have a fresh pair of eyes and someone that doesn't know me looking over my manuscripts
0: too. Do you do that? Does somebody look at your work before it goes to be published? Oh gosh, yes. Uh,
1: So it's quite a process. So I usually put my book through my husband, then I send it to my sister who reads so much and uh, is herself a really good editor and she works at British Council but she's a Cambridge examiner and she's a finickety sort of nitpicker in every (laughs) regard with words so I like to run it by her. Uh, and once she's looked at it too, I then run it by an editor, friend in London, who will then give me her penneth, and then I go to a conventional editor and pay for that, which is called the first edit or copy edit. I don't tend to have a structural edit, which I used to do, so that the order of play usually is a structural edit, then a sort of copy edit, then your final edit, line edit, they all have lovely fancy names but you really need two good edits I think and I often will try and get different editors for the line edit and the copy edit depending because then it's again another fresh pair of eyes not Mm -hmm. making mistakes this year ironically I actually went with the same person for both She did me a package and she's a new editor. I've never used her because my original editor is away at the moment. So but it was quite good for me to actually have a new editor because she's younger and she saw things I hadn't noticed. And we got on very well. And she's used to doing fantasy and sort of escapism literature. So very different, very different, but quite a stickler and uh, very good at grammar. And I I liked her fresh approach to things. But she came back at the end saying, I thought fantasy was the most detailed of all books to edit, because she's edited lots of different ones over the years. But she said, now having read my first crime novel, I see how detailed it is. She said, it's absolutely exhausting. Because she said, I read your book three times, and each time I picked up different clues I'd missed the first time. (laughs) And she said, it was so frustrating, but it was so exciting. And she said, I've now got this desire to go into crime fiction editing
0: based on your book. So it was was quite... It was a nice, interesting process. Yes, yes. Well, I always admire crime authors because you have so many ends that you have to bring together into a satisfying conclusion so it's hard. quite a skill quite a skill easier I, to write romance i think i think it
1: is hard i think <laughs> it is hard there are lots of things to up. and i think detail is everything i mean maybe you know if i criticize myself i'd say i am very very detailed and maybe that can be difficult for people but i like to place clues right at the beginning in ways that maybe you don't always
0: notice that's the secret isn't it really you're best known for your <coughs> six travel titles about your life in majorca yes what was the appeal about starting with fiction and writing a novel? Do you know, I
1: think originally I'd always wanted to write fiction, not necessarily travel writing. Um, But as you know, my travel books are a story, um, as much as they are about travel and about Mallorca. So that trajectory had started, I think, with that series. But I've always had stories in my head. I've always written novels. I mean, never published them. But you know, since I was 10, I wrote my first book at 10 about a dog that was left on the streets and his life and all the different people he lived with. And then I wrote another book when I was 13, which I sent to Oxford University Press, which they accepted and I didn't edit and left it. Um, So I've always written, but they're always stories and I've never really done anything with them. So I've always had this desire to actually do the novel. But I like series, having done the first series, I enjoy the process of developing characters across a genre and across a series of books. And Isabel has been in my head for a long time, my central protagonist. And so I just thought, wouldn't it be fun to have Isabel solving crime and have Isabel developing as a character through different books?
0: That'll be interesting. I thought in the first book that I read, The Devil's Horn, that her character was quite strong. It was was a good character.
1: I'm glad you thought so. She is strong. I mean, I just had um, my first two impartial reviews of my book from love reading two of their ambassadors and i was quite relieved because they were very good reviews which is always nice Um, but what i did pick up one of them said she was a strong character and said she's very headstrong and at times too bullish by you know and thank god she has people around her that pull her back and i loved that because that is exactly what i wanted her to be like she's lovable i think but she does make mistakes. You know, she rushes into things when she should really listen to others. Probably a bit like myself.
0: I was (laughs) going to say, how much of you is there in Isabel? There's a little bit of Isabel in me, I
1: think. I mean, I am really spontaneous and I get really excited by things and go running at it, where my husband will say, wait a minute, (laughs) you know. I'll never forget one of my insanest things, probably. I wanted to run a cattery and I was absolutely obsessed with running this cattery. But most normal people might just think, oh, I might run a cattery, read a book on it. No, no, I didn't. I literally enrolled on a course. Instantly, I had the idea. <laughs> and so I paid to go to this cattery near Gatwick where I had to immerse myself in giving injections to cats, you know, experimenting on oranges, getting up at five in the morning, cleaning out the cats, hissing cats, mad cats. It was a very <laughs> well-known big cattery and very, very much for rich, the rich and famous. It's very expensive. But Alan thought I'd lost my marbles. He said, you're, you're going to Gatwick to a cattery. And I said, yes. And I'm going to get a certificate to manage a cattery. And he said, we haven't got a cattery. And I said, I know, but we could have one day. And that's what I'm like. The funny thing was, I had such fun. I loved it. Because, you know, this woman was terrifying, the woman there in the cattery. Um, she had me up at the crack of dawn. There was no nonsense. I didn't get breaths until I'd done all the cleaning and Ooh, feeding goodness. the cats. And, and you and paid for this? I paid for it. And at the end of it, when she was satisfied, I got a certificate, a management certificate, because she was very well thought of. That's the sort of mad thing I do sometimes. And I, think, I, mean, I don't think Isabel's quite as insane. <laughs> um, but Isabel certainly does things without thinking at times. You know, she can't wait for someone to say, actually, should we wait another day before we do that? She thinks, no, I'm going to go and do it anyway.
0: So there is quite a bit of you. There in is her, a
1: little bit of that. But you don't have stuff. a pet <laughs> ferret. I don't, but I did want a pet ferret. So, yes, oh. I'm living vicariously through Isabel. Uh, <laughs> because Alan said that he drew the line at me having a ferret. I looked after a ferret once, which is why I wanted a ferret. When a friend had a problem, he'd rescued a ferret, and he ended up giving me the ferret to look after him, Yorkin. And I thought, oh, they're gorgeous, and it was so sweet. And, <laughs> but they do smell quite a lot, mm. and you do have to keep an eye on them. And we've got so many cats. I just think it would be an unhappy family. I'm not sure.
0: No, I don't think ferrets and cats can too And I don't want altogether. Alan to
1: leave home just yet.
0: You know? no, 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 not when he's so supportive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we're going to talk a little bit more about Haunted Magpie, the second book in the series, in a few moments' time. You had a traditional publisher, as you mentioned earlier on. You've taken a completely different mm-hmm. route now, But you're not just loading something onto Amazon, are you, for Kindle? I'm investing quite heavily. I made the decision,
1: um, my last book with Somersdale, Hachette had taken over Somersdale some years ago. And if I'm honest with you, it went from being that cosy little publishing house where you know everyone by name to a much bigger operation. The original owner who I dealt with left and it became a different organism. And it felt uncomfortable to me somehow. I didn't feel it was so cosy. So I went to see the printer who prints all my books with Summersdale Hachette. And he says to me, why are you still with a traditional publisher? Why don't you just go and do your own thing? You've got your own followers, you've established yourself. You know, you've done marketing, that was your profession in the past. Get off your bottom and just self-publish. And I all oh no, I'm too nervous. He said, no, don't just self-publish, create your own publishing entity. And once it gets going, take on other writers and help them. I thought, well, that appeals to me far more than just doing a self-publishing on Amazon. So he promised to support me. They had all my books, of course, because they (laughs) produced them all. It made that transition so much easier. So I established Boorah Books Limited. My nephew, uh, who's legally trained, is one of the directors. And uh, I've set it up in London. We've now got a sales mechanism going so people can buy my books through my site as well. So it was a big decision. So last year I left Summersdale, which was a wrench, after Mm. 10 years, and I really was fond of them, and they helped me so much. But actually they don't do fiction, so it was a good time to leave. I had an agent who uh, had my book loved it and was trying to find me a publisher she said it was going to take time and a bit like my bullish heroine i said (laughs) no i haven't got time i'm just going to do it so it has been a big leap of faith and i have invested but i'm happy to say that last year i washed my face very comfortably having done it on my own which i wasn't expecting i've been told by uh, industry pundits it takes three years minimum to get a little publishing indie house up and running. So I I know it's going to take time, but I'm happy I've done it. I don't know if I'll go back in the future to traditional publishing, maybe for certain books that would be expensive for me to produce myself. You know, there's a book I want to do and it will involve a lot of photography and I don't think I want to do that myself because it's going to be a very expensive book to produce. So I would
0: look at going to a traditional publisher again if they were interested for that. Having your own publishing business, has it made you understand a little bit more some of the things that that authors traditionally criticise about traditional publishing? It certainly has.
1: I have a friend who is uh, an extremely talented writer. She was published with I wouldn't say their name, but one of the biggest publishing houses. She was given this great deal, she thought at the beginning, but within a year and a half, they, they just got bored. They hadn't sold enough of her books. It was quite an academic book, but it was, it was still what I would call a, a fiction, but academic basis. Anyway, they just uh, pulped all the books and she never made any royalties at all. And they flipped her out very callously. And she'd been working on this book for three years. That was my first big lesson uh, about how it can go the other way. And then I had another friend uh, a few years ago who got a three book deal, children's book, but I mean a really beautiful young, uh, it's a beautiful book and it was for young learners. And he got a very good deal, but within a year they said it hadn't sold enough and the three books never happened. It happens a lot now, they're callous and very, very driven by sales. Mm. So you have to make up your mind, are you strong enough and, uh, to weather the storm? You may be lucky. I mean, I do know one or two have done really well, and especially with chick lit, which is hugely popular. I'd say it's the biggest genre to succeed at, and because uh, loads of women love chick lit, and she's doing pretty well. She's with Collins, so you know, but you'll talk to someone else who'll say uh, give you a different story I think it takes time to build up your reputation if you don't have marketing background it's quite tricky yes and you know so many publishers these days expect you to market yourself and it's really hard when you're writing the books all you want to do well most of us is just to sit and enjoy words but increasingly
0: they want you to go out and self promote on social media go to festivals you know do a lot yourself even more (laughs) so now during the pandemic you can't go anywhere you can't go affairs you've been to the Oxford Literary Festival before but but you can't do that it's a crisis now
1: and I think the biggest problem is that I mean I have a major distributor in London and they have had hell during this period they're trying to get books like mine to bookshops and the bookshops are closed they're open then they're closed again so everything is being geared towards online marketing and that again is expensive you know you have to pay for that So it's all about budgeting and thinking out of the box how you can promote your book without actually having a physical launch or a physical presence. So for example, this year, I I got one book signing and I'm doing a mad thing locally in Solia, where I live, and which is just to say to people, come along on a Saturday. I'm gonna be in Cafe Paris, my favorite cafe, between 10.30 and one, if you want a book sign, come down. And then the rest is all through other channels, you know, through my newsletters. I'm doing some Facebook advertising soon. So that is how I'm having to market the book this year and I have got a very good following through my newsletter, you know, my following I have always with my travel books. But it is tough and if you're, you know, a first-time author, I I can't imagine how upsetting this period is. Yes, it
0: must be, it must be. Really frightening. The thought of having a, you know, a nice (laughs) launch with glass of cava and some canapes and things. I've been to book launches of yours before and they have been lovely, jolly affairs with lots of people. Yes,
1: and I usually have two, one in Palmer and one in... Uh, Solya, and I do sell a lot of books. I mean, I, I can sell 300 books at my launches, between the two. Not so easy to sell Not 300 so books
0: <laughs> Not at all. Is it? No.
1: And so you've got to think about that and think, how can I do the same? And the only way, to be frank with you, is through you know social media, advertising, promotions which is the way I'm going. You're fortunate
0: you've got that skill and expertise.
1: Yes, although I'm employing someone to help me with that because social media is not my skill really. I mean, I'm uh, an organic social media person. (laughs) I've just found my way in the dark with it. But I, I think if you're going down the advertising path, You really do need someone to guide you who's an expert, and much younger than me. I mean, the guy I've got helping me is in his late 20s, and that's all he does. Perfect age. Uh, Yes. that's all they do. You know, he's helping me, and thank God for that. And he's a London social media advertising specialist. So I took the plunge and thought, I'm going to go with some of those, what they're doing. Uh, So it's in his hands. The only ghastly thing, Jan, which I'm dreading, not for you, but I've got to do my own videos Oh. you know, to camera, about selling my book, which I'm not enjoying. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yep. Uh, yes. Yeah, so that's what he wants. Uh, I do have an animated uh, book video, which is great for use. Um, and he's going to use a cover image. But it's all this sort of self-promotion that I find
0: really... Mm, <coughs> yes, and, and a lot of writers will claim to be introverts. You're not, obviously. But a lot of people are. A lot of writers are introverts. Yes, they hate it. And that will be really difficult for them. Being in PR
1: most of my life, earlier life, helps so much because you have to give a lot of conferences, you have to introduce people, you have to do a lot of front-facing stuff, which uh, I wouldn't say in the beginning was natural, but in the end I had to. So I don't find it too scary now. But I still don't like the whole thing of seeing my face (laughs) on camera, (laughs) especially promoting my own book. It just seems so a little bit naff actually but you have to do it and and really well-known authors have to do it just have to go with a program a man up or woman up
0: yes I think that's the thing these days people have to be more self-promotional don't they definitely in in all walks of life and I think there's a there's probably an age divide at which point you think oh I'm not comfortable with doing that blowing my own trumpet
1: yes I, I, I have to say I really don't enjoy that at all what I do enjoy though is engaging with my readers I love my readers and I know many of them now and that actually that isn't frightening to me so you know through social media and through my emails and other mechanisms they they talk to me and I meet up with a lot of readers in Solia in the summer or whenever they come over I I enjoy all that I get great feedback and it's just a nice chance to say thank you because they are supporting me that, that sort of self promotion is different. But when you're actually coldly in front of a camera saying, hey, buy my book, it just seems so artificial. Mm, I can't
0: um, imagine you doing that really, but.
1: No, I can't either. Well, we're going to find out this weekend, because he needs it early next week. Oh, well,
0: well good <laughs> luck with that then. <laughs> hope it doesn't come through on your feed, is all I can say. Oh, <laughs> well, I shall look out for it. I shall definitely look out for it. <coughs> the book is coming out 19th of November, so things are hotting up. The second book, Isabel Flores Montserrat, is your character. <sighs> Where did you get that name from?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm mad. I mean, Floris is a name from the mainland, which I really liked, and I Montserrat is more Majorcan, and I had thought it would be rather nice to have a heroine that was a hybrid, you know, that had a parent from the mainland and a parent from Majorca, uh, because I do hope eventually that these books will be in Spanish, so that it will appeal to not just the Majorcan audience but also people on the mainland who might relate more to her. Think that she has, you know, a father from León or whatever, Castilla Mancha, rather than just being a Mallorque girl from the mountains. So that's where the name came from. I've always loved the name Montserrat, I don't know why, I just have. And then Isabel is the name I absolutely adore here in Mallorca. One of my good friends is Mjorken and her daughter is Isabel and Isabel is a really strong character and she has long dark curly hair and dark eyes and uh, is very entertaining and maybe there was a little bit of Isabel in my head that made me think yeah I could have a heroine like little Isabel, I'm talking about when she was a child and she's very sort of grown up now, and she's very different from my Isabel, but as a child she was like her, very impetuous, good fun, very fearless. So that's the idea, and actually my idea for creating this character who has a rentals agency, a holiday rentals agency, again, is based very much on a friend of mine in Luch who was managing houses for expats, and I thought, what a brilliant idea to have someone like my friend Sari running, you know, houses for people but is secretly solving crimes or helping uh, yes. the National Police. So that is where the idea originally came from. I wondered if you could have someone doing two things at the
0: same time. And, you but know. she was formerly in the police, so she's got some yes. experience, hasn't Well, she? that was
1: the other thing. I mean, you read series like Number One Lady's Detective series by Alexander McCall, which I think are brilliantly written. Uh, so clever, simple idea, but just so captivating. But obviously she was an untrained detective. She was a sleuth that just sort of came up with an idea and decided that she'd create her own little agency based on a book that she loved about how to police. But in my case, uh, I really wanted her to have a backbone of police work. I felt it was more convincing and more credible if she did, especially in the macho world of Spain, where mm. I thought some girl from the mountain without any expertise up against the head of the Guardia Seville. They get no respect. Quite funny. I was speaking, funny enough, to a former Guardia Civil officer in Solia the other day who was asking about my books. And I said, look, you're not going to like my books because... I have a Guardia Civil chief who's a pain in the backside, and he and the National Police are always fighting. And uh, I've got this mountain girl who's solving crime because obviously Guardia and the National Police are so incompetent they can't do it on their <laughs> own. And he burst out laughing, he said, it's my idea of heaven. I said, really? He said, I love books like that. He said, I like to sit in bed with it. it cracks me up, I love it. And he said, and also, you're right, there are terrible stresses between the Guardia yes, and the National it's a Police. a strange system. So he explains. said, don't think it's all exaggerated. He said, well, often, you know, it's, uh, it, it can be quite tense. But he said, why not? He said, you know, it's fiction and fiction should be enjoyed. He said, it takes the pressure off people like me. He said, we, don't, we wouldn't take it seriously. And he said, you know, don't forget, we Guardia officers have families and kids and wives. We're, we're not just humans. guys with guns, we're humans. And of course we like a good yarn. <laughs> so it was quite sweet. I felt a bit sort of happier about that.
0: Yes. Did you actually talk to anybody in the police to, to find out more about procedures here? I did. I talked to two Guardia
1: officers, one who in fact was a traffic police person. The other one had been a Guardia a chief and it was a bit more formal and uh, he was a friend's uh, father-in-law if that makes sense and uh, yeah they gave me quite a lot of information but you get to a stage where they will not tell you much more beyond a certain point the father was a little bit more disapproving of the idea of a woman solving crime um, he was saying well that would never happen i said well of course not i said this is fiction yes <laughs> and he said okay then uh, he said he thought it was a bit mad but obviously it is. Um, but they were helpful. They gave me some tips on things that I didn't know about. For example, about hierarchy and the moving up process if you're a captain, and then going on to becoming a commander and so forth. Uh, so I learned a lot about that and about traffic crime and what happens and proceeds on that, which I haven't had to use yet, but I will in the future.
0: It's hard to think of Mallorca as being a hotbed of crime. We all know, of course, that crime does happen here. (laughs) Most people think of it as a lovely peaceful island. We actually have a serial killer. We do. In this latest, it's cool. not
1: great, is it? Well, it's a surprise.
0: <laughs> is, is this still cosy? The second
1: edition. <laughs> That's what my husband was saying the other day. <laughs> is he cosy? Well, it is a serial killer. But it's uh, the, the important thing about the serial killer is that the, it's related to crimes from the past. So there's a big history attached to the crimes that are happening in the current day. It's quite complicated. If I tell you any more, then I have to shoot you. You know. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> no, but it's um, yes, it's a serial killer, but it's. It's not a blood and gut scenario, I don't really like that in books. So basically people are disappearing on the island, that's the theme. But at the same time in Isabel's village, animals are disappearing. So she is called upon to sort of look at both problems. One by her local mayor who says, what's happening with all our pets going? And uh, she's then being asked by the National Police to help them with these people disappearing from different parts of the island who are completely unrelated. So it's not as though that they can say, you know, it's a a sexual motive or there's some reason for it. All these people that are going uh, seem to have absolutely nothing in common. So it's a puzzling one. And so Isabel thinks, are they connected? She discounts that. But other people think maybe they might be. So yes, yeah, so that's that's the starting point.
0: But all is resolved by the end. Trust me. Yes, and if you want to find out how, you'll have to buy the book and read it. <laughs> um, I love the title Haunted Magpie. I can't wait to find out what that's about. The Devil's Hall. And that was another atri- intriguing one. With your travel books, you were you were very keen on alliteration. Have you, have you <laughs> given true. up on that?
1: I think because it was a jolly travel series, I sort of wanted to pinion them together in a way that readers would remember. So I have animals in all the titles, for example. And I, I'd love to take credit for this, but I, it must have been subliminal. But when I started the series, I started with a lizard in my luggage, then cat in a hot tile roof, all the animals go up in size. And then someone said, what an ingenious idea. And I said, gosh, yes, <laughs> it was, wasn't it? But I, it was not intentional. But in fact, they do all go up in size. So I wonder if I was just thinking of that at Isn't the time. So I, yes, because, you know, it goes from goes from lizard to cat to goat to donkey uh, to bull and then I go into collectives which is a chorus of cockles now I'm doing peacocks in paradise the next one so I don't know I must have sublimely been thinking that yes interesting but genuinely I didn't think that (laughs) from the beginning so it's weird because the reason I went for cat after lizard was because I was thinking of the cattery so it wasn't because I wanted to have an animal going up in scale but it has helped readers because when they want to start from the beginning They just think oh i'll go up in size what's the next animal along oh it's a cat or it's a goat or it's so yes
0: and all those travel titles are now available on your own publishing aren't they yes so
1: borobooks.co.uk is my new company limited little company in england and so people can actually buy their books through the site the good thing about buying through my site as opposed to amazon or anyone else is that i will do dedicated books and I will have special offers and promotional codes on things. So that's what I intend to do. Um, And the other thing we're going to be developing quite soon, uh, you'll be able to buy gifts through my site. So for example, if you want to buy a book and you want to buy an olive oil ladle or something of that nature, so you want it in a nice pack, we'll be selling traditional Mallorcan gifts, only a small selection. So, you know, someone will get a nice book in the post in a box and they'll also have some gift from Mallorca. That's an interesting um, idea. So, it's books and gifts basically. So, that's the next step. So, that's what we're developing. We're starting with books, and then that'll be the next. Do you think you will, in future, publish other books written here in Mallorca? I'd like to. I really would. Um, I think. Why I have, I have got lots of people contacting me about books. You know very well a book really has to be good to stand the test. You know there are lots of badly written books on the market, hundreds, thousands. But if I do take people on I want to make sure that they are really good writers. I don't mind actually the genre at the moment but I don't want to take anyone on until I've learned the hard graph myself and know A, that my company's working, B, I really understand the industry, because it wouldn't be fair.
0: No, and you don't want Um, to dilute your good name. You've got your well made.
1: Well, that's the other thing. So also, and it's it's a big investment. If I take on another book, I have to invest in that book. I have to totally believe in it. And then to make it work, I'd really need to market it properly, which I would. But I'm now getting this great gang of people together, whether it be social media experts, editors. So I would have the best team around to assist with that and probably do it quite economically, you know, in a good way but I don't want to produce badly presented books. You'll know what I mean, but so many people self-publish and the biggest nightmare is their cover. They cut corners. And if I said one thing to a would-be author, it's get the cover right, pay to have the right cover. Because in the shop window, that is the first Mm. thing a consumer sees. If you've got a terrible cover, they'll be turned off immediately. I think titles are important. You know, my main thing about, I don't want to give the game away, but there's a very strong reason why I have Magpie. And I love the idea of, the word haunted, it's just something, and I thought they went together, and there's a reason for it, you'll know, I hope, if you read the book (laughs) to the end. But Haunted Magpie, Light, a title has to sound right to my ear, it's like music. I had loads of different titles for this book, but the one that really sings to you is the one you must go for, and I ask loads of people. I don't just sit down and say, oh, I've got the perfect title, I run them by several friends and people in the business. And often they'll disagree with me, but you have to be happy. I really believe as you get stronger in writing yourself, you have to become more confident about what you want. And you know in your funny bone what's right. And a lot of people might disagree,
0: but you've got to follow your instinct always. And that's the thing I think, with women particularly, I think we've, we're much more related to our gut instinct than Definitely, perhaps Definitely, I think men. so. Yeah. I really do believe that. So next year we have another travel title yes. and another Isabel Flores We do. Going to be working very hard. You are. I did do a lot of research
1: for Peacocks in Paradise um, last year, so I have a little more to do. So I've, I've just got to really go through my ghastly notes and unwind everything. But Peacocks in Paradise will be my seventh travel title. I haven't produced one for nearly four years. So a lot of my reader base has said, what's happening to Peacocks in Paradise? And uh, I was so busy trying to get the first Isabel off the ground that Peacocks went by the wayside. So I have to produce it and I want to anyway. Um, I've got some strong themes for it. So that will be out in June. Uh, it's called Peacocks in Paradise, Flight of Fancy around Mallorca. And then, <laughs> And then the next Isabel title will be out in time for Christmas hopefully next year and a happier time in our
0: lives, I hope. I hope so too. I hope I'll be
1: able to have a really big launch, We hope
0: so. We look forward to that. Oh, I hope. In the meantime, a launch coming up very soon. Are you going to do anything in the UK? Is that possible? It's not possible. It's the worst possible time
1: actually to launch (laughs) a (laughs) book. But it's
0: coming up for Christmas, so you need to get get it done. Yes,
1: Christmas is good. I'm literally going to put all my energy into online campaigns, newsletters, special promotions. And just see how it goes. You know, I'm quite a sanguine. I think when you start up your own little business, you have to be. And, you know, the whole thing about series, until you've got three books, it isn't a series. So I knew that this would be my second and that yeah. next year is when things will really hot up in terms of a series anyway. I've been contacted by two film companies about my book. Um, They like it, but again, they said, when is the next one coming out and when is the third? So they they often look for series. I'm very cynical about films and TV world stuff. It's not of interest to me at all at the moment. And these things take absolute ages to come to fruition. Hmm. I'm more interested in the written word and getting the third book out and feeling satisfied that I'm developing a good solid series with characters that actually are realistic within a fiction remit. And ones I like, I have to like my characters. This isn't creme noir, it is more cozy crime. I mean, yes, it's not quite as anodyne as some cozy crime novels can be. And I don't mean that unkindly, but you know what Mm, I mean. Yes. Uh, It has got a bit of bite, and I have to have that, but... I'm happy that I'm producing a series which is both fun but mysterious and a bit scary at the same time. I mean, the beginning is not very nice, I'll, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> it's Hang quite a, a, an unpleasant beginning. Maybe. <laughs> I'm not going to read that yet. <laughs> uh, you know, a bit scary, but then I think it's quite nice to set the tone and then have more of a sort of happier stance. Um, as Isabel goes about fact
0: finding and
1: clue finding um, towards the end. But the end is it's always uplifting in my books.
0: I can't not do uplifting endings. No, no. And of course, it's all about your beloved Mallorca. Yes, absolutely, which now, I do love. I know that you've been climbing mountains all over the island. <laughs> I don't know how you found the time to do this, mm. but you've been climbing mountains. Do you think <laughs> you'll you've been be writing about that at all? <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so in the next book, I am going to
1: mention a lot of the mountains, and not as a hiking guide at all, um, but I will allude to it. I have this friend, Alison, who's as skinny as a flea and very strong and fit, a CrossFit maniac, and... Uh, a lot fitter than me. And she and I had this mad idea about three years ago now to climb every, uh, the Miles as they're called, to climb every mountain over a thousand meters in Mallorca. And at first you know, we were saying, how many are there? 10, 20, you know, totally ignorant. And we found out there were 54. Oh. So I said, well, I'm not sure about that. And she said, oh, I am. We're doing it. And Alison is not someone you argue with. You know, she is so strong minded about energy with exercise. (laughs) She's brilliant with ropes, climbing, you know, not like me at all. I mean, I just like gentle ambling and hiking. (laughs) So that's all gone horribly wrong. Um, So, yes, so basically it was more her initiative, uh, I would definitely say. But I I went along because I love a challenge and I love conquering things. So she knew that I did and she used that against me, really. <laughs> i said, oh, but you wanted to get to 10 marathons. How about getting to 54 mountains? It's all been fine. There have been a few really tricky ones, um, but the, the biggest fear for me at the moment that I must overcome is the, the, the last but one mountain, which is Frara, which is terrifying. It's just a sheer needle, and you have to do it with ropes. There's no other way up, and it's very technical. I've never been rope. Climbing. Let me just say, rock climbing. In that sense, I'm great at hiking, and I'm great at climbing with my hands, providing it's quite, y- you know, safe. Yes. So this this is not a funny one, mm. and uh, it's quite dangerous. So. I saw Toffel, um, who is our greatest runner in, in the country, in fact, in the whole of Spain. He's, I think, number one mountain runner in Spain, and he works in our local uh, China shop. Oh, it's, really? it's his fa- family owned China shop. So I went in to see him the other day and I said, Look, I've got this Ferrara thing to climb. And he went, Oh, no. And he said, You know, I know loads of men that have done the 53 peaks of Mallorca, but only a handful that have ever done Ferrara as well Ooh. it's so scary and i said oh my god so he said i did it uh you know a few months ago it's all ropes and you need to take a seriously technical guide with you who can advise and help you all the way but he said it's not for the faint-hearted he said i think you can do it but don't take it lightly and i certainly not <laughs> so i found someone who i think is going to help Mallorcan climber, and he's trained and insured to well, take people like me thing. up there. Yes. So I don't think we'll do that probably till next March, April, May. Yes. Time. Not in
0: the winter. It doesn't sound like a good time to be doing God something no. like that. No. I need
1: to gear up to this psychologically. Well, let's get these other books done first of all Anna, <laughs>
0: yes. before you go scaling yes. up this awful mountain. Absolutely. Yeah, it might be the last one. Hopefully not. Well, if anybody would like to find your new book or find your other books, how can they do that?
1: They can go on Amazon, which is actually at this time probably the very best first step. Um, so I've got them in digital format on Kindle and I've also got them on Amazon, most of the sites, .com, .co.uk and all the European sites, that's all organised by my distributor. But if they do want to go on to Borough Books, they can. If they want to support little indie business, and it's boroughbooks.co.uk If anyone wants to go that angle, they can Asked me if, uh, for dedicated copies as well. I'm very happy to send those out. I've just sent out 10 dedicated co- copies three to India, three to Dubai, Ooh. and uh, the rest to England. And these were all people I'd never met in my life uh, that had read about me somewhere and asked to have dedicated copies. So that's rather nice yes, it's lovely, to think isn't your books are winging their way to Dubai <laughs> in India, Cheney, and India, Chennai and Bangladesh. You're worldwide. So oh gosh, it's all happening. <laughs> just on that quick point, I would say that Geoffrey Archer, who also has a home on the island, has one of his big Audiences in India.
0: Who knows? Yes, he become maybe. a star in India. Yes, I one remember day. interviewing um, <laughs> interviewing him once oh, for yes, magazine. Did, and yes, he was telling me about his his He's readership a star in there. India. It's incredible. It's a bit like a movie star. Yes, I think. he said that.
1: Oh yes, the cost of the book. I should tell you that the <laughs> book costs ten euros here, eight ninety nine in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's actually a pound cheaper than the last book, ah. which is good. Partly to do with printing prices and you know just. I'm trying desperately to make sure that I'm as economic as I can for the consumer. A lot more to think
0: about than just writing. But you're doing a great job. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you so much. So Uh, lovely to talk to you. I know that this will be uh, another popular book, and already I'm looking forward to next year's output. (laughs) So you be careful up that mountain, Anna Nichols. (laughs) (laughs) Do my best. And thank you for talking to us on Authors in Mallorca. Thank you very much. Lovely to be with you. Authors in Majorca featured Anna Nicholas, whose latest cosy crime novel, Haunted Magpie, is published by her indie company, Borough Books Limited. All her titles are available for purchase on her site, boroughbooks.co.uk, and through Amazon. In the next episode, my guest is the author of a beautiful new cookbook, as well as being a private chef on the island. Until then, it's goodbye from the beautiful island of Majorca. The podcast, Authors in Majorca" is produced and presented by me, Jan Edwards. The theme tune was composed by Jack Waldenmeyer and published by Music Bakery Publishing.